often over the days of our retreat, I find it um, more challenging to start speaking into the silence. <laughs> it does feel like uh, the stillness and the silence is quite palpable now uh, in the hall. It's very, yeah, it can be very beautiful just to, to feel into, to connect into. But I will speak, and in order to do that, I will check if the sound is adequate. Yeah. Wonderful. So someone asked if uh, we could say uh, a few words about our supporters at the back here. I'm just going to take a look at them, if you allow me. Yeah. So we have the Buddha. Uh, most of us are probably more familiar with. Um, and we have uh, Kuan Yin here on my, uh, on this side. <laughs> Right, because it depends how you're looking. I was going to say on my left, but actually to you, she's on the right. Um, and Kuan Yin is, uh, comes from the Chinese Buddhist tradition. Uh, she is the, the Bodhisattva of Compassion. Bodhisattva of Compassion. And... And her name literally means uh, she who hears the cries of the world. Yeah, that's quite, uh, I find it very beautiful. And so, you know, maybe quite obvious why we have them here. <laughs> I think I mentioned it uh, maybe in the opening talk. You know, they're there to remind us of our own potential. Yeah, they embody the potential that we all uh, share yeah. to awaken into deeper and deeper wisdom, and deeper and deeper compassion. And I can't resist also say, you know, they're also both here because for many years there was nothing there except plants. <laughs> and then there was a Buddha for many, many years. Yeah. And even though if we look at the Buddha, uh, if you look at the statue of the Buddha, one of the things I like about, about them, it's not uh, very gender-specific, right? But still, we associate the Buddha with being a man, yeah. So it was quite important for us at Gaia House to kind of open up yeah, the sense of our potential to more than one gender, yeah. And so, Kuan Yin is there to also remind us of that. Yeah. So hopefully that's interesting and responds to the, to the question that, that was asked. So we've been... Uh, exploring uh, this path of practice over the days together, you know, describing this path of wisdom and compassion. And we've particularly been um, looking at it, investigating it, interested in it, um, as a practice, a path of cultivation. Yeah. Cultivation of what? A cultivation of the skillful and the wholesome. Yeah, that which leads to well-being for others and ourselves yeah. and the world. And we've also been describing it, relating to it, as the cultivation of the capacity, the ability to let go of the unwholesome and the unskillful, yeah, to put it down, to let it go. The unwholesome and the unskillful being that which leads to ill-being yeah, for others and ourselves. 
And within, with this cultivation, you know, cultivation of that which supports the wholesome, cultivation of letting go of the unwholesome, um, uh, one aspect of wisdom that is really helpful there is discernment. Yeah? How do we know? Yeah? How do we know what is wholesome and what is unwholesome? Yeah? This is discernment. It's a beautiful, beautiful word. Yeah. Don't use it a lot, right? It's beautiful. How do we know? How can we tell? Yeah. And yet, this is what uh, the teachings are encouraging us to do: to learn, yeah, to cultivate discernment too, yeah, a capacity to know this is unwholesome or wholesome. And I wanna, I wanna use. Uh, to speak about discernment, I'm going to use one of my favorite suttas, which today I also discovered was one of Romero's favorite suttas. Um, sutta is uh, kind of the texts yeah, that uh, were written about 500 years after uh, the Buddha's death. And they're kind of a little bit in the form of like a little bit of a story, usually involving the Buddha, one of his senior di- disciples, giving a teaching. Yeah. So it's a really long text, and I'm not going to read all of it, despite <laughs> really loving it. Um, but I am going to read it from the beginning, so that we get a little bit of the sense of the story. Yeah. So this sutta is called uh, the Sutta about the two sorts of thinking. Two sorts of thinking. So we can already tell there's discernment here. Yeah, it's part of what he's going to talk about. So I have heard that on one occasion, the Buddha was staying near Savati in Jetta's Grove, Anatapandika's monastery. And there he addressed the practitioners. Yeah, there he addressed the practitioners. And here's what he said. He said, practitioners. And they responded, Yes, Lord. Yeah, it's often the way it goes, the beginning. Practitioners, yes, Lord. And the Buddha said, Practitioners, before my self-awakening, before I woke up, when I was still just an unawakened bodhisattva, one who's dedicated to the path. I love this. I was just a bodhisattva, just someone who'd committed <laughs> to this path of awakening. Anyway, I was still just an unawakened bodhisattva. The thought occurred to me. Yeah? So we get direct, yeah? being transported directly into the Buddha's mind. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? The first thing we can see before he tells us what the thought was that occurred to him, we can see, yeah, and I love this is one thing I love about this sutta, how he talks about thoughts. Yeah, I'm gonna repeat it again. He said he says, The thought occurred to me. You ever said that? You know, do you ever kind of go to your boss and say, Oh, the thought occurred to me. <coughs> It'd be nice to have a longer lunch break. Or whatever, yeah. We never say that. It's like, I think, yeah. I think, and then what a difference it makes, you know, this way of phrasing things. Yeah, the thought occurred to me. Yeah, I didn't make it. It's not mine. Yeah, it can give us a little bit of a, a kind of a kind of way of, of thinking, ah, this might be a skillful way of relating yeah, to thinking. I almost said to my thoughts. <laughs> this is a skillful way of relating to thinking. The thought occurred to me. And so what was the thought that occurred to him? Why don't I keep dividing my thinking says my thinking, but we'll ignore that. Why don't I keep dividing my thinking into two sorts? So I made thinking imbued with sensuality, thinking imbued with ill will, 
and thinking imbued with harmfulness, one sort, and thinking imbued with renunciation, the opposite of sensuality, thinking imbued with non-ill will, and thinking imbued with harmlessness, another sort. So the thought occurred to me, what if I divide the thoughts that occur into two types? And so sometimes we use this image, it's as if we kind of have two baskets, yeah? And we divide our thoughts and we say, ah, this thought, you go into this basket. Why? Because you're a thought of ill will, of harmfulness, yeah? Of sensuality, yeah? And this thought, you go into this basket. Why? Because you're a thought of non-ill will, of harmlessness, and of renunciation. So these two baskets, yeah? And that question of how do we discern, yeah, still remains. He hasn't quite answered that. Yeah, he's just said, oh, I thought it might be a cool idea to divide my thoughts into two according to these parameters. And how do we know? Yeah? Yeah? Is it this or that? And so here's what he did. Yeah? He's suggesting to us, he's telling us from his own experience. And as I remained thus, ardent and resolute, <laughs> yeah. So we have to, like, I love these translations, but sometimes they use language that's not commonly used. But as I remained thus, so we can see what, what's this ardency? He's interested, yeah? He's interested. And he's also got this quality of determination, yeah? And intention, you know? Being resolved. I want to see. Yeah? I want to see what the, my, what the thoughts are that occur, and I want to be able to divide them in this way. So as I remained thus, ardent and resolute, thinking imbued with ill will arose in me. So I'm just giving two examples here. He goes through all the six. Thinking imbued with ill will arose in me. I discerned, here's the discernment, I discerned that thinking imbued with ill will has arisen. Yeah. And that thinking imbued with ill will leads to my own affliction, yeah, leads to my own ill-being, or to the affliction of others, or to the affliction of both. Yeah. This thinking imbued with ill-being, it leads to distress, it leads to affliction, it leads to ill-being, my own, that of another, or both. Furthermore, yeah, it obstructs discernment. Yeah? It blocks wisdom. It promotes vexation yeah? and does not lead to unbinding, unbinding, does not lead to freedom, does not lead to awakening. And then he continues yeah, to describe what happened. As I noticed that it leads to my own affliction, it subsided. As I noticed that it leads to the affliction of others, it subsided. As I noticed that it, it leads to the uh, affliction of both, it subsided. As I noticed that it obstru- obstructs discernment, promotes vexation, and does not lead to unbinding, it subsided. Here's the punchline. <laughs> Whenever thinking imbued with ill will had arisen, I simply abandoned it. Go Buddha. Yeah. If only. <laughs> yeah. But he's showing us what is possible and he's showing us yeah, the, the process, yeah, what it takes. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of detail. So I look with ardency, with interest there. Also, he doesn't say it, but it's inbuilt, the compassion for ourselves. It's not about beating ourselves up. It's not saying you're good or bad. Thought or person thinking. It's not about that. It's about seeing where does this lead. And if I can see where it leads, that supports the putting it down. Yeah, that supports uh, the leading it, uh, the, the um, letting it go. 
and he, he uses, I kind of shortened it a bit, but he even uses this language. He says, you know, I wiped it out of existence. Yeah? And the wiping it out of existence, sometimes I didn't, mean, I didn't want to say that, because sometimes we say that, and it sounds like there's like something quite aggressive there, or like a sense of, even if it's not aggressive, as if like the thought is on some blackboard and then we, we wipe it. But what he's talking about is uprooting it from the root. It stops existing because it is not being fed through being thought. Yeah? When we see where it's leading, boom, the whole thing collapses. So the ardency, yeah, the interest, the energy to look, to see, yeah, and then the looking and seeing, ah, where does this lead, yeah, in the moment and over time, what does it bring, yeah. And then when I see, oh, it leads to affliction, it leads to ill-being, whether for myself, for another, or for both, yeah, I put it down, yeah. I put it down. I can, this is a really powerful practice. Yeah. It's a really powerful practice. I, I was using it um, some years ago when I um, be- re-veganized. I'd been vegan at some point and stopped, went back to being vegetarian. And at some point I wanted to um, go for a, a plant-based, cruelty-free diet again. And I decided not to just do it with um, determination, not just to say I'm stopping, but I actually wanted to make it a conscious, alive process. And so what I did was every time yeah, that I wanted to have a dairy, yeah, that was my big thing, <laughs> every time I wanted to have dairy, I would pause yeah, and contemplate where this was leading, yeah? And this really simple question, does this lead to my own affliction, to the affliction of another, or to both, yeah? And so I just, just stop and contemplate. And it would be very easy <laughs> to then let go of that, in this case, you know, the sensuality, yeah? The, the sense desire for the taste, yeah. It, it, it became, you know, ev- I had to do it again and again. It wasn't just a one-time thing, which is where the ardency and the resolution come in because it, it's not fun, you know. It's much better to, you know, have a pizza. It's much more fun to just have the pizza. It's before, you know, it was so easy to have vegan pizzas, yeah. And yet, ah, that practice, yeah, so powerful and you know maybe by the end of this talk also we can see it it brings um, a much deeper well-being yeah than sensuality does so that was really um, one of the kind of first times that I really used this yeah just to really see and and sometimes it's really clear yeah sometimes it's less clear And then seeing, ah, when we see it clearly, it's not difficult to let go. The Buddha used all these uh, images for letting go and for renunciation. He said, um, you know, when we, we think of renunciation as giving something up, yeah, that's the image it has, that's the rep it has. You know, renouncing things means we give things up and we live a life that's less rich. But he, he said, no, we need to remember when we let go of something, when we renounce something, it's because there's something better. Yeah. Because there's something better. Yeah. And often that something better is the being aligned with what we know is wholesome. Yeah, with our own aspirations and values and ethics, yeah, whatever they may be. Yeah. That's often the something better yeah, that we uh, that we that we get. So, you know, that ardency, that resolution that we can bring, and maybe it can be helpful to bring it to particular areas, not to try to apply all the time because it takes a lot of energy, right? But we build a skill, we bring it into something particular. 
and we, we hone that skill. And then, you know, he speaks about the other basket, right? This is one example from one basket, the ill will. And then he says, and as I remained equally ardent and resolute, thinking imbued with harmlessness, yeah, or with non-ill will, with renunciation, arose in me. And I discerned, I could see, thinking imbued with harmlessness has arisen in me. And that leads neither to my own affliction, nor to the affliction of another. So the thinking imbued with harmlessness, with non-ill will, and with renunciation, that does not result in ill-being. It does not result in distress and affliction for myself or for another. It, promo- it fosters discernment, yeah? It promotes the ending of vexation and it leads to unbinding, yeah? Nibbana, it leads to awakening. Even if I were to think and ponder in line with that for a whole night, for a whole day, for a day and a night, I do not envision any danger that would come from it. Yeah, that's what he says. We could think thoughts of um, harmlessness and they would not uh, bring any danger yeah, to ourselves or others. Except, and I, I kind of think he's making a little bit of a joke here, except that thinking and pondering a long time would tire the body. <laughs> yeah, that's the only harm. Yeah. Uh, thinking and pondering a long time would tire the body. And it's a little bit, I, I kind of perceive it as a little bit of a joke that he's bringing in. It's also true. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. And he's saying to us that there's actually more than thinking. Yeah. Thinking is not the all of our experience. It's a reminder of that. And then he says, Whatever a practitioner keeps pursuing with their thinking and their pondering, that becomes the inclination of their awareness. That becomes the inclination of the heart and mind. Whatever a practitioner, and of course also a (laughs) non-practitioner, by the way, whatever a human being, keeps pursuing with their thinking and pondering, that becomes the inclination of their mind and heart. That becomes the inclination of their awareness. That's where it naturally goes. Yeah. And then he uses this phrase, um, their mind is bent. <laughs> so if we pursue uh, thinking of ill will, thoughts of ill will, the mind is bent towards that ill will. Yeah. And if we pursue thoughts of non-ill will, the mind is bent. Yeah towards non-ill will. This is, um, yeah, really important. And again, something we've been saying, but he just, sometimes he just says it in one line like that. Whatever a practitioner pursues with their thinking and pondering, that that becomes the inclination of the mind. Mind and heart are shaped that way. And that's kind of what we've been saying about the habits. of the mind and heart, which are formed, yeah, which are shaped through repetition. Whatever we do, again and again, that will become the route that our, our heart and mind will travel along most easily. Yeah? And again, we know that today with our scientific understanding as well, right? The way the habits are formed in the brain. Yeah? If there's a certain pathway that is used often, that is more likely to be used. Yeah? Those neurons are kind of more quickly activated and in communication with each other. Yeah. So the repetition yeah. shapes yeah. the unfolding, yeah. the likelihood of where the mind will incline to. The mind is shaped by that which it engages with. 
So we can see again, yeah, here in, 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 in this kind of way that the Buddha uh, explores it with us, that, the constru- that experience is constructed, it's shaped, it's not um, randomly appearing, yeah, and it's not uh, unassociated from causes and conditions, including yeah, the habits of repetition. And I really want to say, to stop and pause here and say, sometimes they can, this can really sound like bad news and we can kind of feel like really heavy with it because we know, you know, like 50 years of habits already, you know, how am I going to change that? Yeah? Yeah? But we can, yeah? And it doesn't actually necessarily take that long, yeah? I'm trying to remember. My partner really likes this bit. I think it's three weeks to form a new habit. I think that's what they say. Yeah. If we do it enough. Yeah. So, yeah, if we want to take up jogging or um, learn a new language, you know, to start it off, yeah, to form a new habit, I think it's three weeks. I might be wrong, though. But it's definitely weeks. Yeah. Not, not more than weeks. And so, you know, yes, these things are, are in our, our kind of not bad news. <laughs> yeah. Not bad news. Because this is changeable. Yeah. This is changeable. The way we relate, yeah, I've been harping on about every time I've spoken. <laughs> the way we relate to experience in this moment it impacts how it's shaped right now, but it also um, impacts how it will be shaped over time. Yeah? How it will be shaped over time. And I want to uh, give a, a really like strong example of this. It was very powerful for me. Um, this was a few years ago. Let's say 10 to make it less embarrassing. I'm not sure exactly how many. Um, I was uh, I was in India and uh, just finished uh, teaching a one month retreat, um, and my partner and I had this rhythm, pre pandemic rhythm of teaching this one month retreat, service work retreat in a leprosy community, and then we would go to. Um, a really beautiful place uh, in South India, not far from the sea, uh, and have a kind of uh, kind of our own space for about a month. Yeah, so partly retreat, partly time on the beach, time together, also some work inevitably. Um, but at that point, so there we are in this beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah, that we love. That's really as wholesome as wholesome can be. Yeah, and. Um, I was having to deal with uh, some uh, complex issue to do with my father's finances that I've been looking after for some time. And it's an ongoing issue, long, long term, and and it makes me angry, or it used to make me angry. (laughs) Uh, By this point in dealing with it, I knew that when I was on the phone, yeah, to the other person involved, who made me angry, um, I, I needed to really be fully present, yeah, full practice mode, really present, really in the body, um, really attuned to my intention, and I'm not going to get angry, yeah, not going to get angry in the conversation, because that's really just going to lead to affliction, yeah, very clear for myself, for the other, for both, very clear. So I'm not going to do that. So in the conversations, again and again, they were happening every day, <laughs> yeah, I would be able to hold that space yeah, and not get angry. But then I would put the phone down. I mean, it wasn't this phone, but let's just say I was putting the phone down. <laughs> Funny, those things, huh? The inclination of the mind. When was the last time I did that? <laughs> Probably 30 years ago or something. Anyway, put the phone down, and then I would vent. Yeah, I'd say to my, my partner, Oh, that person, they make me so angry. And I just can't do it. Anyway, I won't, I won't lay it on you, right? But I would really vent. 
Yeah? And I thought I was being skillful, right? Because I wasn't, it wasn't going towards the person, right? Just my poor partner. Luckily, we had two huts, so he could be on the balcony of the other one, safe distance. Um, and I thought, okay, so I'm, I'm doing good here, right? Not venting, no affliction. Uh, yeah, affliction to myself, I can take it. Um, fine. A few days into this, or maybe a week, we're walking to the beach yeah, in the afternoon. Lovely walk, yeah. Beautiful, got our hammocks in our bag, bag, got the Dharma talks on the phone, you know, everything's ready for a lovely, chilled, relaxing, nourishing afternoon. As we're walking down the path to the beach, uh, a couple of beggars um, of a particular type, yeah, dressed up as, as gods, I don't know if some of you may know this, and uh, they're, they're asking for money, and they're a little bit, a little bit um, insistent. And I just, yeah, volcano at them. And, you know, we keep walking and we look at each other and it's like, what was that? Yeah, what was that? Where did that come from? Yeah, where did that come from? And the penny drops, yeah. Because that's not a typical behavior for me, certainly not after so many years of practice. So where did that come from? For, you know, five days or a week or however long it's been, yeah, I was letting ill will, <laughs> yeah, incline the mind, yeah. So not in direct contact with the person, but through my own heart and mind and being, yeah. I was allowing that yeah, to come through me. And that becomes the inclination of the mind. Yeah? That becomes the inclination of the mind and it lands on some innocent yeah, couple of people. Yeah? Yeah? And that is, yeah, that is awful. I have to say, from my own experience. That definitely, yeah, clearly leads to affliction and distress and ill-being. So, you know, I'm, 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 I like to share this story um, because, yeah, hopefully <laughs> we can recognize this in ourselves and we can see that, yeah. Our minds are pliable and they're flexible and this is a wonderful thing yeah, this is what gives us the possibilities to work with them skillfully. But it also means that what we incline the mind to, yeah, what we allow to come through the system, that, will, come, that will, will be the habit. And we will not have control. Yeah? So I thought I was having control. I wasn't. Yeah? I wasn't. And so, yeah, hopefully not too heavy with that story. <laughs> yeah. But for me, a really clear example yeah, of this teaching. And then we can reflect for ourselves with compassion and kindness, really important, and with that interest. And that was there in that moment. Yeah, I'm like, what was that? Where did that come from? Yeah, where did that come from? Yeah, it came from forgetting yeah, to what degree yeah, experience is shaped and constructed by what we repeat by the habits. Yeah, that's where it came from. A moment or a period of forgetfulness. Yeah. And again, not something to beat ourselves up about or to feel bad about. Yeah. See, it even becomes a good example in a Dharma talk, so we can always turn these around. Yeah. Not something to feel bad about, but um, something to actually be inspired by, because if it can go in one direction, it can also go in the other. Yeah? If it can go in one direction, it can also go uh, in the other. Yeah? So we remember possibilities. Yeah? We remember possibilities. 
that possibility that we've been speaking about, moving from reactivity to response. In the moment and over time, again and again and again, in the moment and over time. The possibility uh, to pause, yeah, to just pause when we notice there's a momentum of thinking or there's a particular a habit that is gaining, yeah, gaining um, momentum, gaining power. Yeah, we can pause. We can just pause and look at what is unfolding right now and ask ourselves, where is this leading? This is back to the sutta. Where is this leading? Based on what I know, where is this leading? Does this lead to affliction for myself? Does this lead to affliction for another? Does this lead to affliction for both? Or does it lead away from? And this is not a trick question. (laughs) And it's not a test. So sometimes we'll know actually very clearly where it's leading. Sometimes we won't. Sometimes it'll be too complicated. And we won't have the discernment yet to see where it's leading. But just that pausing and the asking of the question already makes a difference. Can you see that? We pause and we ask the question and it already changes the atmosphere. It already... Uh, dilutes that momentum of reactivity. Yeah. And it already brings in the interest that we're so interested in. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, then we can do the best thing that we can do at that time. We can make the choice that seems yeah, the most appropriate. And then we continue to learn from that. We can see, uh, where did that lead? How did that unfold? What was going on there? So this possibility to pause and to ask ourselves. And sometimes um, we won't be able to do it in the the moment because things will be moving too fast. So we won't be able to do it in the moment because things will be moving too fast. But then we can go back yeah, and use memory and use reflection. It's a question about reflection today and the question we can use, we can reflect back. Say, so, uh, how did that go? How did that unfold? And if I had the possibility to pause and reflect, what would I have found? Yeah. So we can go back and see. And then we learn and there's no missed opportunities. Yeah. There's no missed opportunities. Because yeah. we can still, um, it's another uh, phrase from, from the teachings, you know, we can still get the juice out <laughs> of the experience, get the nectar, get the goodness out of an experience at any time. So that possibility to, to make a different choice, to ask the, the helpful questions. And as we do that, we're already cultivating the wholesome. Yeah, it goes beyond those two baskets, because pausing asking these questions, being interested, that already is a cultivation of the wholesome. And it might be that it's just a tiny little bit different than our usual (laughs) habit of reactivity. It might be just a tiny little bit different. Or it might be that it's just for a brief moment. But that's radical. Yeah? That's revolutionary. Yeah? Just a moment. Yeah? Just a tiny little bit. I like to kind of use this example, you know, if you're walking down a path, and this is the path that you usually tread on, yeah? This is the habit, yeah? And we can imagine it like a, a straight path that's going along. And then, you know, with your skillful attending, yeah? With pausing, with asking the questions, yeah? You might be changing the angle that you're walking in by the tiniest little fraction of a degree. Yeah. But over time, yeah, where do you find yourself? Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Just initially, just a fraction of a degree, but over time, yeah, 
completely radical. We find ourselves in a completely different habit, a completely different place. And that starts in each moment. In each moment. So the briefest of moments, the tiniest bit (laughs) of change, yeah, makes a big difference over time. And what we're talking about happens, yeah, can happen in a moment, but happens also over larger time scales. And we can reflect on that with ourselves. We can also reflect on that um, with the world. (laughs) I can't resist from saying this. The changes that we make in our own hearts and mind, they have an impact on others, on the world that we live in. And every change begins with one small act that is repeated over time, that is repeated often by the many. So sometimes it can be helpful to remember that we're not just meditators, we're revolutionaries. (laughs) Phrase from Robert Baer, beloved teacher. Revolutionaries. And so are they. And that's also something that they remind us of. Yeah. Uh, as we practice, yeah, moment by moment, yeah, moment by moment, we are creating transformation and change, even if sometimes it's not perceivable. Yeah. Maybe not in our experience, maybe not out there, but we're bringing change, we're supporting change. <coughs> this is what we've been doing here, yeah, and this is what we are continuing to do here, through the simplicity of coming back to our meditation object, the simplicity of working skillfully with things like tiredness, yeah, which has been a real presence (laughs) for many of us, yeah, or restlessness, yeah, yeah, or aversion, yeah, whatever we've been working with, yeah, through responding skillfully to the unpleasant, yeah, through softening the body, yeah, as we were doing this afternoon, these are all micro-revolutions, yeah, because we're changing how we're relating to experience, even for the briefest of moments. And that makes a difference. So as we practice, we keep meeting our experience with interest and with kindness. Yeah. We keep opening possibilities. We keep discerning, where is this leading? Where am I inclining the mind in this moment? And what else is possible? Yeah. Can I respond skillfully? Can I let go of reactivity? Can I let go of the unwholesome? And can I cultivate the wholesome? Yeah. In this moment, always just one moment at a time, over and over again. And I, I want to just give another example of this. Um, just popped into my mind. Um, yeah. And so this, this was also in India, probably even longer ago. <laughs> um, as you can see, long-term love affair with India. And much of my life spent there. Much gratitude. So this was also after the, the one-month uh, retreat in the leprosy community, which uh, the retreat was called The Power of Love. Um, and so for a month, we would be there uh, with a, a group of practitioners and volunteers working in the community and um, really cultivating friendship yeah, and a sense of sharing and mutual learning from each other. Certainly, uh, usually felt like we received a lot more there than we offered. 
Um, so this was a, a different year, and again, the end of that one month, and we're traveling away from Anandoan, from the Forest of Joy, the name of this community. And we've just uh, spent probably about, I don't know, 18, 20 hours on a train, I can't remember. Got off the train and into an auto rickshaw to catch a bus going to the next place that we we're going to, which is a, an ashram for some meditation time. And the uh, auto rickshaw driver was so generous, kind and eager <laughs> to get us to the bus that as we were approaching the bus stand, he saw a bus driving out and he could read the Tamil saying the destination. He knew it was a bus that was going to where we wanted to go. So in his enthusiasm, generosity and kindness, he kind of blocks the bus <laughs> with the auto rickshaw, rushes us off the rickshaw and onto the bus. And we had seven pieces of luggage. I remember this. Seven pieces of luggage, including a guitar. Yeah. So we're on the bus, and the bus was you know, stopped on its way out from the bus station, so the bus driver's quite eager to drive on, so he does. Yeah? We're standing in the doorway, practically, with our seven pieces of luggage, and the ticket collector on the bus is telling us off um, for not putting our luggage away, <laughs> as far as we can understand. And the bus, I forgot this, the bus is moving like this. Everything's shaking. Yeah. This is called the shaky bus story. So the bus is shaking, we're shaking, the ticket collector's shaking, our bags are shaking. It's really like, oh wow, what's going on? And we find ourselves on either side, forget about the bags, either side of the ticket coll collector. My partner, standing behind him, patting his back, and I'm in front of him, and I'm saying, it's okay, sweetheart. We're doing everything we can. We're going to put the bags away as soon as possible. You can relax. We have no shared language, by the way, but that's what's happening. And again, where did that come from? Yeah, I was like, what was that? You know, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, this like, forget about the bags. Um, it's a very beloved guitar. <laughs> particularly, and, uh, and just kind of soothe and calm him. Yeah? Where did that come from? It came from three weeks of cultivating compassion in action. Yeah? Three weeks of working particularly in uh, what is called the wisdom bank of the community, where the elderly go when they can no longer work and live independently. And uh, being in this mayhem <laughs> with them, <laughs> and a lot of the time just doing that, you know, saying to people, it's okay, and we're here with you, and cultivating the compassion in the face of the difficulty and the suffering there. Um, so where does that come from? <laughs> yeah. It comes from cultivation, it comes from the inclination of the mind towards some quality in particular. Yeah. Three weeks, remember? <laughs> yeah. And so I wanted to also share that, yeah, because um, it's so important to remember the possibilities, yeah, the revolutionary aspect of our practice and what we're doing, um, and the possibilities that open as we dedicate ourselves to this, yeah. Just like the Buddha says in the Sutta, you know, with ardency and with, with resolve, yeah, it takes that, yeah, it takes that. And yet it's possible yeah, for all of us, not just in silence, yeah, with our eyes closed, but also in the world and yeah, how we engage with ourselves and others. So we'll end here for this evening. Uh, let's have a quiet moment together.
So may we continue to remember possibility to pause and to ask, where is this leading? And moment by moment to cultivate and nourish that which is wholesome, that which leads to freedom from affliction, from suffering and from distress for each of us and all of us. And to let go in every moment to whatever degree possible of the unwholesome over and over again. May our practice together be a support and a nourishment for the welfare of all beings everywhere, including each of us here. So thank you for your listening and your presence and your practice. Have some time to practice outdoors if we wish. And we'll be back here at quarter to nine for our final meditation of the day together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.